I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me both to a Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading this morning. The first will come from the first book in our Bible in Genesis chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. <clears throat> now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and saddled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And then in the New Testament book of Acts, in chapter 2, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And then down to verse 12, Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. And then in Psalms 104, <clears throat> remember you can find the Psalms typically in most Bibles, by opening up the very center of your Bible, more than likely you may find a psalm there. Psalm 104 is a psalm that celebrates God as the Creator God. It really is a hymn or a poem that was meant to be read or perhaps set to music, celebrating that God's the Creator God. And not only did He create one time, but His Spirit continues to renew and to create 
the world in which we live and each of us. So pay a special attention in verse 30 when we get to that of the word about the Spirit. And by the way, the word Spirit in Hebrew can also be translated wind or breath. So when God breathes, when he sends wind, he is sending his Spirit. Let's begin with verse 1 of Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wind on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He sets the earth on its foundation. It can never be moved. And then the psalmist continues to almost take a page, so to speak, out of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, rehearsing that original creation of God. Let's move to verse 27. They all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you, give, when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit or when you send your wind or your breath, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was a student at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, many moons ago, I remember taking a course, it was a four-hour course entitled Basic Pastoral Care. We met on two afternoons of the week for two hours each of those days. The first day of the week, I remember, was Tuesday. We had a classroom lecture for two hours. And then on Thursday, we had small group meetings with other peers in the class that was led by what's called a clinical pastoral education supervisor. And one of the things that we had to do was to bring in, so to speak, a case study. We called them verbatims of a pastoral conversation with another person. Now, verbatim actually is, is a word-for-word, sentence-for-sentence remembrance of a pastoral conversation you've had with someone. So you would record the sentence of the, what the person said, and then you would write down how you responded. And then you would record what that person said, and then you would write down what you would respond, how you responded. And you would evaluate it 
from a biblical and theological and family and emotional perspective, what's going on with this person in all of these ways. So you actually read the verbatim in class, what you've said, what another person has said, and then the class evaluates it. Now that was the painful part. Your peers evaluating how you handled a pastoral conversation. But what was really painful was at the end of the course. The CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education Supervisor, gave us all a written evaluation. And to this day, I can tell you exactly what he said about me. You want to know? You don't want to know. Let's move on to something else. I, I've piqued your curiosity, but you don't really want to know, do you? TJ, you want to know. Well, this is what the supervisor wrote about me. I'm just going to give you two sentences. He said, Greg has lived a sheltered life. <laughs> Painful. Then he went on to write, he needs to experience the harder side of life. And unfortunately for me, but uncomfortably correct as he was, he was spot on. Because there was a lot at that particular age of about 23 or 24 years of age. I had lived a sheltered life. I had not experienced the harder side of what life was about. I had not at that particular point had many deaths in my life. I'd had my grandfather die. That was it. That was only at the age of 21. I'd not been in the hospital a whole lot with people who had tubes and lines coming out of their bodies. Hadn't been to the funeral home a whole lot and the graveside and funerals and memorial services. And here I was aiming to be a pastor. You've got to be comfortable with stuff like that. You've got to experience the harder side of life. But you know what I discovered is that if we're all going to grow as a Christian, we all have to be willing to experience the harder side of life. Every one of us in this room have to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to breathe on us and to allow the Spirit's wind to touch us and then to stretch us and to scatter us and to move us to those places that are outside of our comfort zones. And trust me, at that particular point in my life, I had a lot of comfort zone. I was the type of person that, you know, I really liked that safe, don't take any risk, live that sheltered life kind of person. I'm wondering this morning, are you that kind of person also? And do you need God's help in letting the Spirit scatter you and blow on you and stretch you outside of that comfort zone. The three texts that we've read this morning that are Pentecost text present us with God, with a God who is a life-breathing God, a God who is a stretching God, a God who is a scattering God. We go to Psalm 104. We just read it. Here's a God that's constantly creating He's constantly breathing new life through his spirit. The Hebrew is ruah, which means wind, which means breath. God's constantly sustaining the world. 
And then, according to the text, he's even stretching and scattering his creation to fulfill his purposes for it. God's that creating, ever-breathing, ever-changing, and renewing God. And then we go to Genesis chapter 11. It tells us the story of a prideful and disobedient scheme to maintain human unity by building a city and then a tower. Now think about the ludicrousy of building a tower up to the heavens that would reach God. Can you believe that humanity existed at one point and actually thought they could build a tower that could reach the heavens and could reach God? So God deals with the people. He punishes the people by taking away their common language, which makes impossible the building program of completing the city and completing the tower. And the fact is, the end result is God scatters the people out into the ends of the earth, and really he's causing them to fulfill the original mandate of Genesis 1.28, which is go and multiply and fill and subdue the earth. The, the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann suggests that this story is really about a unity that God desires in us that's rooted not in selfish pride or ambition, but it's a unity that's rooted in Him, that sends us out as His field workers, that scatters us out of the nest and shoes us away from the nest, that stretches us beyond our comfort zones and strips away that fortress mentality that so many of us have. Then we go to Acts chapter 2. Here's God blowing the winds of his spirit in its fullness to those early believers. And here are people from all of the nations of the, of the world who get to hear the good news of Jesus in their own native language. And eventually those early disciples are stretched and they're scattered and they're moved outside their comfort zones to share Jesus with not only Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. Now, folks, let's have a come-to-Jesus meeting for just a quick moment. Let's be honest with each other. Every one of us in this room, and Lord knows I'm in that number, I'm leading the pack, there is something in the human spirit with every one of us that likes to keep things the way they are. Don't I know it so well? Comfortable, safe, no change. We like uniformity. We like similarities. We like commonalities. And every one of us resists the diversity of things or people or experiences that are different from us, that stretch us and scatter us outside our comfort zone. But let me tell you something. In Genesis 11, in Psalm 104, and in Acts chapter 2, we meet a God who will not allow us to stay in our comfort zones if we are intent on following Him. We meet a God who majors in creating newness of life. We meet a God who blows the breath of His Spirit into our very lives. He blows it into our families, into our work settings, into our churches, in, into our communities. We meet a God 
who eventually desires to stretch us and to scatter us for ministry with people and places that kind of shift and up in our paradigms. Now, I've just been thinking about Oakmont a little bit the last 20 years. Sometimes it's good to go back and revisit history and to remind ourselves of the path that, we're been, that we've been on together as a church family. And I think over the last 20 years, God's been working to teach us a new language, the language of the kingdom, the language of the Spirit. He's been coaxing us Maybe he's been coaxing you individually out of your comfort zone. God's been working, I think, to create a unity among us in him that's rooted and marked by prayerfulness, by Bible study, by our common worship each week, by faithful giving to the work of his kingdom. God's been working to spiritually form us, I think, through those spiritual disciplines that we work on together every day and every week, so we actually are trying to look like, act like, think like, and talk like Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. You actually start transforming your life, or God does that for you, so you start looking and thinking like Him. And then about 20 years ago, in the midst of all of this spiritual formation that's been going on, God started scattering this congregation to probably about a dozen places around the globe. It began 20 years ago with a medical mission trip to the Ukraine that doctors and nurses and pharmacists and other medical people in our church went on. And then God started scattering us in places in our own country and in, in our own state. We had people that started doing disaster relief, disaster recovery, we had people in our congregation that started going to other locations in this country or in our state to do a vacation Bible school for a church that didn't have the money or the expertise, the staffing, the people to lead it. God started sending people to places in this country or even in our state and community to start doing construction work, doing repairs after a natural disaster had come through, or building a church, something of that nature. Interestingly, we started in Ukraine, and the last place, I don't know why this was the case, but the last place that we finally opened up our eyes was locally. God started opening our eyes to ways that we could use our money, and our time, and our talents, and our energies to tackle ministry challenges in our community. We started doing this thing that Jimmy Hughes has done such a beautiful job in pioneering and promoting Operation In As Much. And not only Oakmont, but churches in Greenville and Pitt County started showing up and wanting to be a part of the, the emphasis and the ministry. Suddenly, it just wasn't a few dozen from Oakmont or even a few hundred, but I mean, it was four or five, six hundred people in the Greenville community who caught the vision. We started having people who wanted to start nonprofits like Pam Strickland in the Stop Human Trafficking effort or, or to be on nonprofit boards. We had people who said, my life's been touched. I want to volunteer just not once, a year or a couple times a year, I want to, to weave a, a ministry in my community 
on an ongoing regular effort basis. And then in 2010, we did a long-range strategic planning coaching process that many of you will remember with Eddie Hammett. And we eventually formed a vision team. We had bought some apartments next door to us in 2007. How are we going to use those apartments? And what emerged, not from me, not from our staff, but from you, those of you who had your ear to the ground, those of you who were listening to God, those of you who were praying and discerning how God wanted to use you, we had all sorts of things to start to emerge and to bubble up. How about homelessness in our community? What could we do? And a Tuesday night ministry got birthed to homeless people in our community and then to other people in our, in our local uh, neighborhood here. We had things like after-school tutoring and mentoring and literacy that bubbled up as we created this animal called the Oakmont Community Center. And then we had people who said, you know, we do have medical expertise and we don't have to wait to go on a mission trip once a year to do medical ministry. We can do it right here in our community. And look what's happened. We've got a medical clinic. Where's Sylvia? Hey, Sylvia, the medical clinic's meeting today, right? We could use some volunteers, couldn't we? See how we throw in these promotional efforts? Medical clinic meeting twice a month, today and fourth Tuesday. We even bought a building down the road in large measure devoted to making that a ministry because there are hundreds of people that get their medical care now through the Oakmont Medical Clinic. Isn't that amazing? People like Don Sullivan, who felt this call to be involved in Celebrate Recovery, a ministry to, to uh, folks who struggle with any and all types of addictions. Now we're, going, we're in the process of starting that ministry here. Connie Mars cared a lot about women in our community. She started, and others started doing some things, a steps ministry that reached out to women to help them vocationally and educationally. And we started to see our church in those apartments as a hub of ministry, to care about people's spiritual needs, to tell them about Jesus, to care about their vocational and educational needs, to care about their medical needs. And what we discovered, I think, is that we didn't find God by building towers of human pride or achievement like at Babel there in Genesis chapter 11. What we discovered is that we didn't have to go up to God. God came to us. He came down to us through His Son. And He gave us His Word. And He gave us the Spirit to teach us the language of God, a language that reminds us that God never stops breathing new life into us individually. He's always inviting us to stretch and to scatter away from the status quo and the comfort zones and to go to places and to people where he's already at work. So, so this is what I'm wondering this morning. This is Pentecost. This is the birthday of the church. This is when the Holy Spirit was first poured out. And I'm just wanting to ask to make sure that we're clear on what God is calling us to do as a church. 
Will, will we hide away in the safe havens, in the safe harbors, in the comfort zones? Will we park ourselves in our class or in our group and be really comfortable? Or will we risk a view at the harder side of life? and stretch and scatter and go and do good in our community and in the world in the name of Jesus. Did we build these beautiful facilities that we have here at 1100 Red Banks Road or purchase a set of apartments in 07 or buy and then renovate the branches location a couple years ago? Did we do all of that, as was said in Genesis 11, to make a name for ourselves? That's a direct quote out of Scripture, by the way. Or did we build and buy to create a mission-sending and good news-sharing outpost so that indeed we can practice what we worked on about a year ago, becoming a contagious Christian, learning to walk across the room, learning to build relationships with people and to love them in the name of Jesus? Are we a church that only wants to take care of our wants and needs? Or are we a church that's willing to continue to allow God to scatter us in ministry? And do we believe that the wind of the Holy Spirit created the world only one time and that the wind of the Holy Spirit only birthed the church one time and that's it? Holy Spirit's never been active again ever since. Or do we really believe that the Spirit continues to breathe and birth newness into our lives and into our churches, and this church in particular. You know, I love history. Now, some people don't like history, but I really love history, and my wife always hates it when I go to some kind of museum because I read every exhibit, and it takes me three times as long as it takes her because I like history, and I like learning about these things. So, you know, my eye really got caught when I saw that CNN was doing a series on the 80s. They had already done a series on the 60s, and then they did one on the decade of the 70s. And they're covering all sorts of things, music and culture and politics and world affairs. And uh, the, the last one they've had on the 80s was on greed and how Wall Street got out of control in the 1980s. But one of the ones that really caught my attention with the 80s was the episode in the last week or two that focused on President Ronald Reagan and the arms race, the nuclear arms race that he initiated against the former Soviet Union in the early 1980s due to his mistrust of communism. But later in his presidency, Guess what happened? If you remember history, he changed his mind. He came to the conclusion, and I think some of this was because of the assassination attempt on his life. He came to the conclusion that one of the reasons that he was put on this earth by God was to reach out to the new Soviet leader at that time, the new Soviet president, Mikhail Gorbachev, and reaching out to that president and reaching out to the Soviet Union eventually led to a nuclear arms reduction agreement with the Soviets. Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev both decided 
that they wanted to create a world where their grandchildren would not be annihilated in a nuclear war. They both were willing to stretch. They both were willing to move outside of their comfort zones. They both were willing to look at each other's side. They both were willing to be open to something new. And that's my question to you this morning. Is God breathing something new into your existence that you need to name today, that you need to pay attention to? Like Ronald Reagan, why did God put you here on this earth? What's your purpose? And where's the place and who's the person to whom God is scattering you out of your comfort zone? Trust me, folks, it doesn't feel good when someone tells you you need to see the harder side of life. That's not fun to hear. But I've discovered that when you open yourself up to the harder side of life and you open yourself up outside your comfort zones, it's amazing what God can do with a person and it's amazing what God can do with a church that does that very thing. Friends, we're going to sing a hymn, My Soul, Praise the Lord. The words are on the screen because the hymn is not in your hymnal this morning. But as we sing it together, What's the voice of the Spirit breathing on you right now? Maybe there's somebody here who has never said yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe there's somebody here, you've been through the Oakmont 101 class, our membership class, and you're ready to become a part of the Oakmont Church family. It could be that you need to go back to the prayer stations. There's something on your heart. You want to write a prayer, leave a prayer request, pray with one of our ministers this morning. And what is it that God might be trying to birth anew in you? Because, Pam, I'm sure that um, God caught you by surprise in birth birthing this nonprofit. Don, God caught you by surprise in starting Celebrate Recovery. I mean, we could just go around the room. Wayne Taylor, God caught you by surprise, didn't he? About a Tuesday night ministry. You didn't envision that a decade ago. Just all around the world, I could pick out people in this room that the wind of the Spirit blew. And people listen. So what is God saying to you this morning? I hope you'll respond as we stand and sing our hymn together.
Well, friends, good morning again. Welcome on this Pentecost day. It's good to uh, be his worshiping people together, whether first time or returning guest, long time member, we, we are his people when we come to this special place of worship. So welcome to all those who may be live streaming or worshiping by way of cable channel seven. I hope you'll take the Burgundy Fellowship pads in just a moment and pass them up and down your row. If you are a first time or returning guest, will leave us some information about yourself. We'd love to put you on our newsletter mailing list and keep you informed about what's happening here at Oakmont. We want to continue also by being generous givers to the work of what God's doing in our world. So I want to ask our ushers to come now, and as they do, we will return to God His tithes and our offerings. <laughs> 